Welcome to Horror Makes Us Happy, the podcast where we ask the question, what is it about horror that makes us happy? Your hosts are Steve Becker and myself, Chris Whitman, and you can find out more about us at our website, horrormakesushappy.com. Before we get started, this is the Trigger Warning. It's a horror podcast. We're going to be talking about horror things. So we could, uh, at some point, uh, discuss and bring up topics that could be sensitive, such as child abuse, F-bombs, the R-word. We're going to be talking about bad things, because it's a horror podcast, and that's hopefully why you stumbled across this, because you have an interest in the macabre, but maybe also an interest in psychology such things. Anyway, before I get into too much of a ramble, Steve, what do we got coming up? Oh, lots of stuff. Um, Ms. Becky Spratford, our previous guest, asked us to participate in her 31 Days of Horror, which will be out by the time this is released. So if you want to uh, know more about Chris and I and what we enjoy about horror, you can go check that out. Uh, You can also support us on Patreon because the first two episodes that Chris and I recorded were us interviewing each other as sort of like a testing process to iron out. Uh, the whole format and stuff like that. So that's available to Patreon subscribers. Yeah. You got um, geek inside our minds. Yes. Uh, I recently tallied up. There's over a hundred hours of extra content available to Patreon subscribers. So plenty of stuff there. Um, the link for that is on our website, horror makes us We're also doing listen parties on discord every send, uh, Sunday at 7 PM Eastern. So if you want to join us and listen to those, uh, feel free. We chat about, the episode maybe drop things that either got cut out for length or you know background and extra stuff and we also answer questions so if you want to participate come join us there's also a link to that on our website um other websites we've got chris's horror themed webcomic at piecesofflesh.com um and my book which is not horror themed but it is called a guide to the Bleh. it is called a guide to the recovery toolbox um and you can pick that up on Amazon and a number of other places, but there's currently a coupon code for the electronic version available at smashwords.com. You can pick it up for 99 cents until the end of the year. Uh, the coupon code is LE69E. Uh, and last but not least, normally we would talk about who we've got on the calendar, but <clears throat> we've got so many people that I'm not going to bother trying to list it because we've still got 10 people on the calendar. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> that is quite a few people coming up. Just a few. Just just a few. Uh, but today we have with us an author by the name of Clay McLeod Chapman, known for such works as Ghost Eaters, The Remaking, Venom, and Creepshow Comics. Yes. Welcome to the show, but also, does that mean you um, write and also illustrate? Oh, man, if only. I have okay. no... <laughs> just curious. I, I cannot... D- don't put a colored pencil in my that- It's... Uh, <laughs> I'm awful. Stick it. figures. I, stick figures. Yeah. Symbiote stick figures was okay, so you, the best. You read you creep show comics. Yeah. It, it usually is a two person process anyway. Just the phrase symbiote stick figure, which brings to mind. <laughs> mm. I think I've actually seen one of those animations. It's a gif. Yeah. I mean, in all honesty, it's, you know, it's not just a two person process. It's like a eight oh, person yeah. process. Yeah. yeah you've got writing, <laughs> inking, storyboarding. Oh my God. Sketching. Lettering, coloring, you, you name it. It's you the, know, one person just for the lettering. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Totally. Yeah. I'm over here like a jackass doing everything myself. My kind of- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. Forget about that. <laughs> I mean, those who do, I mean, there, there are those who definitely do all of it or as much of, or more of it, I guess I should mm-hmm. say. And my hat is always off to those people because my God, I, I sure as hell can't do it. 
it is a process. Chris doesn't have much of a choice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but no, for a large production like Creepshow, yeah, you would have a full staff like that. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. that's what we're not here to talk about. Welcome right. to the show. This is Horror yes. Makes Us Happy. It's a horror yeah. podcast. Yes. Before we get into the meat of the interview, you want to let us know what you're currently working on? Yeah. Oh, man. Well, I, right now I have my next novel uh, is coming out in September. It's called What Kind of Mother? And it's mm-hmm. kind of a Southern Gothic folk horror uh, spooky book. So I dig it. Yeah, it's uh, coming out from Quirk Books and it'll be out September 12th. Cool. Yeah, I yeah. can definitely hear that title being said in a Southern tone of voice. <laughs> yeah. What kind of mother? Oh, my God. <laughs> you know, I learned this lesson a little too late, but, you know, when you it, it's always about like finding a title that is very kind of insularly Googleable. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And when you have a title like what kind of mother, you know, you're just going to get a din of like mm-hmm. all the social media cranks coming, you know, like. <laughs> I, I, I've learned the hard way that what kind of mother is not a very easy, kind of like, <laughs> I can't put that into the search engine and just go like, See, oh, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> what? What? Chris, oh, yeah, the actual, the theme of our, <clears throat> uh, uh, the title of our podcast and website actually was born out of my <laughs> a group of friends who Chris is a part of. We were all kind of teasing Chris that he had chosen a, a URL for his webcomic that makes a lot of sense for the webcomic, yeah. but it was pieces-compendium.com. And we were all kind of teasing him about how that's not a very, you know, like, it's, it's kind of not, two strikes, you know, well, first, no, who puts a dash in a website anymore? Yes. That's just, that's, that's a faux pas. And second, yeah. a lot of people don't really know what the word compendium means. So that, that kind of halts <laughs> them like, what, a compo, what? Right. So we, I was brainstorming different URL names and came across Horror Mix is Happy. And then we, but his webcomic is decidedly not very happy. So we're like, it's yeah. a great title, but we can't use it for that. <laughs> so what can we do? And then we realized that we could do this. So we Amazing. are. Amazing. There you go. See? Yeah. But I, I mean, I don't know. Like I always, I love that idea that like, you know, in Google, in the, the kind of vast cosmos of Google mm. um, or whatever search engine you use that like something doesn't exist yet. Yeah. But then when you kind of type in the a particular oh, combination there's a word words, for that crap, I can't think of it. There's a, not Google Plux Cause that's, that's a word I think. Yeah. Procedurally generated. No, there's, there's, a, it's a game where you go to search for something in Google. And if you only get one result, like that is, wow. It's like, you know, yelling bingo. I can't, I can't think of what the word is. Do you, do you win the Google then? Do you get all of it? Like, yeah, do, right. do you own the company? Yes. Done. Done. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I don't know how much we spoke offline, uh, whether or not you get to check out any of our prior episodes. Do you have any idea what you're getting into? <laughs> well, I love horror and I love being happy and I love when <laughs> horror makes me happy. So, that's and I love, start. uh, following, yeah. uh, Becky's footsteps because okay. that's, that's kind of amazing. She's, she really is an MVP of all things. <laughs> um, but I, I crossed paths with you guys in, um, Stoker con. Yes. Yeah. Uh-huh. You, you kind of made the, that amazing kind of first gesture of like, Hey, we're here. Like, let's, let's talk. Um, yes. and I don't know, like that was a very, 
uh, it was an invitation. It was an offer. I could not refuse. That's what I said. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, the general background is that we will ask, the questions are kind of grouped into four categories. We, we start with childhood, teenage years, and then adulthood. And then we get a wrap up section at the end, digging into what you've been a fan of and then trying to see if there are any through lines uh, that go through all of that, that help us understand you better as a person. And the eventual goal is, I mean, short-term goal, obviously people who are fans of your work can come here, you know, maybe something and, and learn something about you and your work through you as a person. And then long-term, if we talk to enough people, we might start identifying some interesting common themes about the horror community as a whole. That's amazing. Have you found any overlap yet? Like, is there, do you find the kind of like connective tissue? You know, yeah, in, uh, I mean, in some facets. For If you're asking for individual people, yes. If you're talking about overall uh, themes for the horror community, yes and no. I mean, I there are some things that are already starting to stand out, but I, at the same time, we've talked to fewer than 100 people. So you can then you get into st- st- bleh, statistic relevance. You know, yeah. uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Not relevance. Um, but it, isn't it like there's like a bunch of like a multitude of Venn diagrams and like this oh, yeah. pocket over yeah, here exactly, yeah. connects to and this. And there are and trends, this. you know, some people, uh, it ends up being more about, well, I don't, don't want to give too much away. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. I, the phrase I like to use is buckets. Yeah. People fall mm-hmm. into different buckets. Um, and like you say, there is overlap too. So, uh, oh but God. starting with childhood, what are some of your earliest memories of scary things? Oh, Jesus. It's, you know, it, it, I, I'm one of these kids who I scared very easily. Mm. And it's funny that you, you kind of throw it into like, you, you kind of discuss the psychology of it all up front. And I, I'm, it's so hard not to do some sort of kind of self diagnosis here. Mm. Um, because I just, I just don't know. Like I, I'm, I was one of those kids who, let's see, what should I say? Uh, single mother family, um, grew up being raised by my mom. Uh, never met my dad and the, like the father figure was always this, this kind of like, that was the negative space that the rest of my family tried adamantly to fill up. My mom was a potter. Uh, so a lot of her time was kind of spent traveling from all these like arts and craft fairs. Ah. And, uh, you know, sometimes I would go with her, but if I had to stay in town to go to school, like I would stay with my grandparents. But I, I mean, that's all the kind of foundation for what, what became this, this weird kind of, I don't know, like a life without like father figures. Like I had a grandfather figure, which was really cool. Stepfathers were kind of came and went, which is a little, <laughs> that's its own kind of pop psychology moment, mm-hmm. which we could totally get into. I'm not like uh, averse to it, but, uh, you know, I found myself being one of these indoor kids like i was a very insular child and um my grandmother was the one who kind of got me reading which led to you know i think i found one of the first books i remember as a kid is uh north america's greatest monsters okay but it was like stories like the wendigo uh where two fur trappers go into the woods mm-hmm. one of them gets whisked away you know years pass and this guy's been missing and the other hunter kind of stumbles upon this elderly looking man you know draped in a blanket and it's his friend his fellow hunter and they like pulls the blanket back and his like feet are just burnt like scorched black husks yeah um and it just terrified me terrified me 
I think that might have been one of the first kind of like like seared into my mind monster moments. Mm-hmm. The Wendigo. Anything else jump out to you? Oh my God, there's a million. Do you want more? <laughs> <laughs> it's astounding. Yes, please. Um, I, you know, I grew up in the 80s and it just so happened to kind of dovetail with Steven Spielberg, which was, you know, fine and dandy. Like I love Gremlins. I love Poltergeist. I love his produced films more than his <laughs> directed films, maybe. Um, but like I was, it was Billy Drosty's kindergarten birthday first maybe first grade Hmm. we went to see godzilla 1985 which which not a great movie um but that you know getting to the theater was was all it took because it was actually a preview it was a trailer for a film that played before godzilla 1985 Hmm. and it was larry cohen's the stuff uh, have, you, have you have you ever seen the stuff classic it's I mean, amazing right it is even for like the time it was it was it, it was made <laughs> some of the special effects ahead of its awesome. game ahead of its game. it was it's serious i mean the only thing i would say I've, I've seen a common thing come up in some critiques of it is who the fuck so- finds some weird yogurt shit just you know erupting out of the ground it's like <laughs> i'm gonna eat that <laughs> like I mean, that is my only criticism is no no yeah. one eats ground yogurt. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> ground yogurt. That is probably the best description I've ever heard. It's ground yogurt. Yeah. What's the stuff? Oh, you know, it's, uh, it's ground yogurt. That's <laughs> um, <laughs> the quality. But do you remember the trailer? It, you know, it was a PSA. Mm-hmm. You know, it was totally this, this kind of fabricated, like, warning for don't eat the grounder <laughs> yeah well, don't eat the ground yogurt i mean it, it was literally like it starts off like you know it's like a there's like a text scroll to it it's like warning whatever you do please do not eat the stuff and <laughs> you know as a as a kid I, I mean like i had to be in kindergarten i had to be in first grade like i was young and i didn't know that this was not real like i didn't know that this was this was like a, a commercial for a, an actual yeah. horror movie. Like it, it read as a real thing and it's telling me there's killer ground yogurt that wants to devour me. <laughs> <laughs> like, like I love yogurt. Like I'm not, I don't love yogurt. I love ice cream. I love, I love ground yogurt. Mm. You can't tell a kid that he's going to get eaten by ice cream and not have that, like have this, there's this palpable effect on him. Mm. I mean, that, that honestly, like that destroyed me. And it, yeah. it, it does kind of dovetail into like, it, it, it wasn't so much that the stuff was, it, the stuff didn't do it as much as the stuff was the kind of like the aperture in which everything came flooding out. Like that was the, the breaking point. And mm. from that moment on, like I had a good, year of night terrors it was the beginning of an a long drawn out period of just like bad stuff happening to me as a kid and i can't remember the lion's share of it because i'm i was a kid Mm -hmm. uh but like i i have like snippets of memories and kind of like all these these kind of fragments of like you know liquid shadows or you know not being able to get out of my bed and like being trapped in my room being unable to kind of like shout out for my parents or scream for my mother. Uh, and it, it, it was, it wasn't the stuff, but it was the stuff, you know? Yeah. 
you're right, it's a very effective and visceral catalyst for just experiencing horror or an interest in horror at a very young age. Because uh, I don't think I ever saw the ad, but I had heard that they went War of the Worlds style with that, like, yeah. like how, uh, Texas Chainsaw did. And that's, yeah. you know, you always hear that phrase, think of the impact on the children, but you never really uh, <laughs> consider that, that yes, this legitimately advertised as this is a real threat thing could somehow be gleaned by someone under the age of 10 and probably scar them for life. You know, yeah. I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> but I, I want to pause for, so no, go, go ahead. No, no, no. Go for it. Cause I would just want to pause for a moment and say, you, you ever hear that phrase? Don't eat the yellow snow. <laughs> <laughs> yes. There you go. I, like, I'm just imagining a horror makes us happy shirt on it. Now that says don't eat the ground yogurt. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I would buy Approved. that shirt. I would wear that shirt <laughs> happily. Um, but no, that's the, I mean, isn't that the thing? It's like the horror, like the stuff that actually like lingers isn't the stuff that happens in the movie itself or the book itself. It's the stuff. It's the, the stuff that you take away and kind of make your own movies or tell your own stories with in your own imagination. Like, I don't know, like that's the, the lasting impact, the mileage that these stories get. Like there's like, there's a, just a moment where like, I have that mental hiccup of like <laughs> cracking open, you know, a yo play and just being like, Stop. <laughs> just Stop. stare at it for a second like <laughs> you're not gonna move are you <laughs> am i really gonna do this am i gonna do this like it's like a choice like am i gonna eat the ground yogurt yeah i'm gonna eat the i'm gonna eat the ground yogurt you know Why what's not? funny is we had a, a guest recently ariel shulman who directed or, or co-directed paranormal activity three and four and he gave the best quote he said for him horror i'm paraphrasing here but horror is about ruining one thing for one person for the rest of their lives <laughs> oh my god and that's what cat that's what catfish did to me you want to talk about those guys oh, yeah, that's right. like he, they're yeah, he, oh, he ruined like the, the actual internet. fish they, well no that the thing that they made before paranormal activity three and four was catfish oh yeah totally and it spawned that whole tv show that uh they like they just <laughs> yeah they got some mileage out of catfishing yes <laughs> <laughs> Uh, quick question. So you'd mentioned something about a stepfather not being a good person. I wanted to clarify, were you talking about yourself there or were you talking about in the movie, the stuff, you know, myself, both. Like, <laughs> I, I don't know. Like I'm not speaking, I'm not making some kind of blanket statement about stepfathers at large, but like, okay. I just had a crappy stepdad. You know, my mom is remarried twice now and, and she's been remarried. She actually just celebrated her 31st wedding anniversary with nice. my stepdad, mm. uh, two stepdad dose. Mm. But, you know, there was just that one guy, the relationship that just didn't, you know, didn't work. And um, this was like my first encounter with a, a, a man of the house, mm. I guess you could say. And he was just such a taskmaster and such a like strange guy. Just a bad man. Hmm. I can kind of relate. I my father was remarried a few times, and so I had a couple different stepmothers. And my ex, yeah. my mother was also remarried once, so I had a very bad stepfather there too. Yeah, something about the way you phrase the term "man of the house." There was just I get the feeling of just like almost like an energy or a yeah. vibe, if that makes sense. Yeah, I, I mean, like I, I I don't know, like it's such a weird period of my life. I'm older now. Mm. I am married and have children of my own now. It's interesting how like those three years are pivotal in some kind of psychological kind of like, I think to that period is just a fraught 
charged moment in my life where I was afraid of everything. And a lot of that energy, I think just came from him mm. because it was something new in the house. Like I, like I had been raised by women. I had been raised by, yeah, it was just a different energy and right. the energy that he brought into our house was some sort of like Grimm's tale, like fairy tale <laughs> kind of like, you know, it, it just, it didn't jive. It just did not vibe with, with who I was, who our family had been. And it, it had some major disruptions. Understood. <clears throat> Do you remember the first person you hurt? Probably my mom, if I'm being totally honest. Okay. You know, it's so funny. It's like when you're a parent, like life is just full of these like small heartbreaks, mm-hmm. you know, turnaround is fair play because like I get it every day from my kids in, in, in completely innocuous ways that they'll just never know. But like, she just wilted for a moment and like, <laughs> you know, like that, have you had that feeling? Like, I, yeah. I don't know if you're parents, but like, it's like, it's, it's just like, you know, Hey, what do you want to do today? I want to watch TV. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's just like, you know, like, or, you know, I, it was probably something worse than that, but like, I think it's just the, like, it's when you, when you suddenly start to draw a line into your own autonomy, I think that might've been it where I maybe chose being by myself or doing something by myself than being with her. And I think mm-hmm. that had a, a moment that like, that was the first kind of small heartbreak. Yeah. Do you, was there a dividing line in your childhood where prior to the dividing line horror scared you and after it, it, it you found pleasure in it or was it always pleasure for you? Oh, see, that's a funny one because I do think there's the kind of soft trauma of that, that horror movie that like really, did it to you. And I know that I mentioned this stuff, but I I feel like, you know, there was that one babysitter who put in Halloween, like way too young in my development. And that, that definitely had an impression. Like I do remember watching (laughs) Jamie Lee Curtis and like the, like the kind of memories of those moments in that movie. I, I don't know if it was a line, but like, I do and I don't want to speak of this in terms of addiction because it's different, but I do think that there is a, there's a certain, there was a certain feeling, certain impact that I remember receiving from those early movies that in subsequent years, I definitely chased after and, and, and like, uh, like wanted, like yearned for that, that, that kind of soft trauma, like yearned for that, that impact again. And it would happen. Like I do remember the first time I watched Black Christmas in high school. And I do remember the first time I watched Let's Scare Jessica De- to Death. And I do remember the first time I watched Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And like those movies, I don't know. I, I don't want to say it's, I mean, like they scarred me, but there was like something about it that like, that was what I wanted. Like I wanted like, ah, uh, like I, the, the kind of, self-inflicted wound of it like was like that's i've achieved this thing and it i love i i just i i I wanted that feeling so if your question is where's the line do i remember the line and what was it after you know the line was was oh these are the movies that really you know messed me up or these are the movies that i really remember because they were really scary that is a an interesting way of putting it, both soft trauma and self-inflicted wound. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't, I mean like, uh, 
you guys are gonna have a field day with me but like i just <laughs> i mean i don't know like this is i i you know i i'm not hiding it i'm not i don't know i don't know what it is other than like this is <laughs> this is who i am and for better or for worse words and all you know one quickly talk about you had mentioned um poltergeist and gremlins <laughs> why did those two come up for you poltergeist is one of those movies that i love it but it's not like one of it's not like the movie for me mm. but it is my favorite kind of distillation of that that steven spielberg vibe but then gremlins you know everybody who grew up in the 80s they always go to ghostbusters or back to the future like mine is gremlins gremlins is not uncommon either do you remember the phoebe cates monologue mm. the reason why i don't like christmas monologue in a while vaguely recall oh my god but- like the whole movies happened. Like the, the the shit has hit the fan. Gremlins are everywhere, but like peppered throughout. Zach Galligan, whatever his name is in the movie, and Phoebe Cates, whatever her name in is in the movie. Like they're always like kind of like, are they? Aren't they? Like you know, crush you know, like crushing. Mm-hmm. But Phoebe Cates is always like, I hate Christmas. And then <laughs> by the end of the movie, after everything is happening, Zach Galligan's character is just like, dude, what is up? Why do you hate Christmas so much? She's <laughs> like, look around. There's monsters everywhere and everything's burning now. No, no, it's a it's better. It's a it's okay. even better than that. It's the movie grinds to a halt. It is so counterintuitive to like every save the cat screenwriting one-on-one narrative structure thing you've ever been taught because it has no ostensible purpose for the movie like it doesn't serve the story it doesn't serve insert yeah it's just it's Mm -hmm. it's it's purely for this character but it it changes everything for the movie and if you're a kid watching this movie and you hear this monologue i should i spoil it i shouldn't spoil it like it's i mean it's like like a 30 year old movie (laughs) yeah i I think people have had time to watch it i've (laughs) seen it i just don't remember it that's oh my god it's amazing it's basically phoebe cates is like Okay, you want me to tell you why I hate Christmas so much? I'll tell you why I hate Christmas so much. My dad disappeared one like on Christmas Day. Like he didn't sh- he didn't come back home from work on Christmas Eve. But it turns out as and this is like a five minute monologue. I, I mean, it felt like thirty, but it was it was just beautiful. It was just gorgeous. Like it is, it rivals the Quint monologue in Jaws. Because, you know, talking about the USS Indianapolis, because it is, it is honestly, like, it is storytelling distilled in its, it's just, oh God, I love it. It's just ambrosia. Dad disappeared Christmas Eve. Mom thought he ran away. Life really sucked. And I really took it out. I hated Christmas. But then a couple days go by and then mom and me start to notice a funky smell in the house something is stinky and it seems to be coming from the fireplace so we called a chimney sweeper in or we called the fire department in because we assumed (laughs) that there is a dead bird in there like a like a bird like got into our chimney and like built its nest and got stuck Mm. and died so when the chimney sweeper or the fireman or whoever it was like looks up into the 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 chimney we found dad 
wearing a Santa Claus costume Jeez. because dad <laughs> wanted to surprise me on Christmas Eve by sneaking down the chimney of our house and surprising me with Christmas presents. He slipped, tripped, fell, broke his neck and got trapped in our chimney and has been stuck in our chimney for days now (laughs) smelling up the whole house all that time we thought dad had like ran away with some other woman or something and just like skipped town but no he's been here he's been in our house dead broken neck wearing a santa claus outfit so you want to ask me why i hate christmas so much that's why and it's like that happens in the children's movie, a fucking Joe Dante film. With, with, yeah, I was going to say, like, what wasn't Gremlins a family movie? Yeah. That's, somehow I blocked out this whole speech. Maybe because, uh, I don't know, maybe my parents knew about it. And they're like, hey, go get, go get a glass of water. <laughs> it, I mean, it is gorgeous. It is gorgeous. It is gorgeously written. It's gorgeously performed. I don't know why Phoebe Cates did not win an Academy Award for this monologue alone. You know, Billy Zane not Billy Zane, Zach Galligan. Zach Galligan is, uh, he basically doesn't do anything throughout the course of this, this long monologue. He just like stares and is like, Oh, like, Oh oh my God. I mean, yeah. With that kind of monologue, that's all you really Uh, can do is stare and just, Oh my God. It is. It it was beautiful. You know, you want to talk about trauma. You want to talk about like fears, like childhood memories, like that monologue, like that was the moment. That was the, the, the opportunity where I was like, you can do this. You can tell stories that are that are gonna mess you up this much. Like that's mm-hmm. awesome, and mm-hmm. I I loved it. I loved it. I have I have honestly been trying to copy that for decades now. Like just trying to like <laughs> like I all all of my writing is basically just trying to replicate the feeling of uh, the Phoebe Cates monologue at Gremlins. <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, it's a it's a it's a simple recipe. You've got um, you know. Common setting, facade of family camaraderie, and then childhood icon destruction. Yeah, is that, there? There you go. Just just a pinch of childhood just icon destruction. Also, um, a dash of dead parent. Yeah, just destroy children's <laughs> like destroy Christmas. I mean, it's so sadistic. It's like I yeah. I can I can see Joe Dante just laughing his ass <laughs> off. It was right. it was written by Christopher Columbus, who went on to do Home Alone. Mm-hmm. But it, it's just like. Like, this is what was so great about that period, because Steven Spielberg post uh, E.T. was just given the freedom to, like, just destroy children. (laughs) You know, that Amblin, that like that logo, it's like family friendly. You're you're in for a wild ride, kids. And like the studios didn't care because they just wanted like they wanted the money. They wanted these these things to be a success. So and this is pre pg-13 this is like you know they these movies gremlins poltergeist they got slapped with a pg rating and it was a more innocent time it was a more naive time and the rating system just wasn't prepared for what the the kind of trojan horse of steven spielberg it just traumatized a generation of kids and i was one of them and i loved it i loved it and i will never i can never thank Joe Dante and Christopher Columbus and Steven Spielberg enough for doing that to me because it was, that was the, that was the, that was it. 
Moving into teenage years, you had already mentioned three movies that I guess maybe were impactful to you. You mentioned Black Christmas, Let's Let's Scare Jessica, and Texas Chainsaw. Do you think um, there was something else maybe that impacted you more during your teen years in terms of horror than that? those three, or is that a good place to start? Oh, man. I, I should cop and say that I didn't find Let's Scare Jessica de- to death until later, like early 20s. So I might need to take that one off. But definitely, I mean, like I saw Texas Chainsaw Massacre early on. Black Christmas was such a get. Like that was high school. Okay. There was just something so like that would like you, the first time you watch that movie, like it's just such a great, great, great feeling. And it really had a, like a real palpable impact on me. Billy, little Billy on the phone. It was the prank calls that did it. Um, I just love that. He was rather graphic on those prank calls. Oh. I mean, especially for the time. Like, Oh my God. Absolutely. It's some, some pretty dark shit. But I think what I loved about it was that there was like a, there was an entire narrative. Like there was a story being told throughout those phone calls that like you could just glimpse at or just catch a little thread of it. And it was Billy and his sister Agnes. And they, I think they had like a baby, like don't like, you know, so like there was like, maybe there was a little bit of incest between Billy and Agnes. And maybe there was a little bit of something like, that they did to the like the the baby. Okay, so are we talking original Black Christmas yes. then, or the first reboot? No, well, I don't. I don't know if they went into that much detail on Billy on the first one. Did they? No, they did. They did. Oh. I, I swear to you, like just re, like listen to the phone calls because it'll I be. I like, rewatch it, and it's it's not like it has nothing to do with the movie. It has nothing to do with the actual what what Billy is doing to the people in the sorority. It's just a, a prop or rather a, a characteristic for him to be just that much more fucked up. Yeah. I, I mean, it's like, what did you do to the baby, Billy? What did you do to the baby? You know, Shh, Agnes, yeah, don't tell me. Okay. You know, like, all of this stuff is happening. And, you know, I do cry foul with the first remake of black Christmas, black Xmas, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> because what they decided to do was take all of that and yeah, and they like worked it. it into the actual plot. Yeah. So you're right. In the original one, it was just kind of alluded to that. It was like like snippets of an argument that you heard over the phone. Yeah, exactly. It was like he was the voice of Agnes. He was the voice of his parents. Like, what did you do? Like, like getting a war removed. Like, it was like all of that stuff was happening. And it was just Billy like, like, and it was like, oh, my God, that is profoundly disturbing. That's profoundly unnerving. Like, whatever that is. Black Xmas basically like made the interior exterior and that's all it was. It was like incest and siblings and like it was gothic underpinnings, just like writ large, you know, not that I'm going to argue for subtlety mm-hmm. or restraint, but it, 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 it definitely maximized that. And it, it took away a little bit of its impact that it, it took the teeth out yeah. for me. It's like the difference in between, would you like this Reese's peanut butter cup or would you like to eat a whole jar of Nutella? <laughs> As someone who has eaten the whole jar of Nutella, <laughs> I, I, I definitely go for the Reese's. Yes. <laughs> As someone who loves hazelnut, <laughs> I have both eaten the Nutella, not in one sitting, but I have both eaten the full jar of uh, Nutella and, and would still prefer that over Reese's. Oh. <laughs> I did. I said not in one sitting. Okay. Well, yeah. Um. Let's see. So, 
what I wrote down for that was that you had said that basically it, it sounded to me like what you were saying is the B plot, as you said, was profoundly disturbing. And it was the fact that the character was kind of bringing that into the story, even though that wasn't really the focus of the story, if that makes sense. It was, yeah. it's like this whole other thing on top of what's going on in the movie yeah. is what, I guess you liked about it is how can I say this? Not, not overwhelming, but um, additional context, maybe. Well, it, it's, it enriches the experience. It enriches the character. Like Billy as a character exists in so much negative space. Like that character, you know, the character's never on screen in totality. Like you only see the eyeball. You only see the silhouette. You only see like, He's never there. And that's the whole point. You you're in his point of view multiple times. You're in his eyes and you're looking to like literally quite literally like the camera is Billy and the phone calls in, in that era where like, you know, no caller ID, no kind of like star 69. Uh, it was basically like these poor young women are just like, holding the phone up for an extended period of time, just listening to this guy rant and rave in very kind of perverted, grotesque ways. Mm-hmm. Um, that was another thing that, yeah, that struck me about that. They, they just kept listening to it. Yeah. Like most women you would think would just hang up the phone. Yeah. And just like, Oh yeah, let me lick it. Let me tell me more. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh my God. I mean, Margot Kidder's character definitely like makes a game out of it and like mm-hmm. and extends it, like taunts it, and like like makes it like like wants to hear, and that gives us the audience kind of permission to kind of listen to, like that's ah. that's when Billy is on screen for me. Like the phone calls mm-hmm. are ultimately when Billy is present. I don't know, like that to me. If someone was to say, "What is Black Christmas about?" You're like, oh. It's about a group of sorority sisters who are spending Christmas, the holiday, like alone and like a, they're dispatched, you know, by a serial killer. But like, to me, you're like, what is, what is Black Christmas about? And it's like, it is about this one man, this one boy who is so profoundly disturbed by the things that have happened to him and his family that he wreaks havoc <laughs> on, on these, these unsuspecting women and like Mm -hmm. oh god it's just it's like the 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 pivot of the point of view like that's what what does it yeah absolutely now you put it that way i I would say black christmas is about two things isolation and power struggle yeah absolutely yeah you had mentioned that uh there were a few movies in your life that affected you uh to make you a different person was texas Chainsaw one of those other movies (laughs) yeah Totally. Okay. Oh my that. God. It's the dinner party scene. God, I love that dinner party scene. Mm-hmm. I don't think I've, I mean, like I, that might have been the first time I'm actually like witnessing trauma on screen. Like that movie was really upsetting. Oh yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, with the, with the camera angles, uh, the insane close-ups, the screaming, yeah. it was oh, intentionally disturbing. Yeah. And, you know, it's funny, like, I, I have a pretty weak consternation when it comes to certain horror movies. Like, I can't do, 
martyrs. I can't do last house on the left. I like, I know, like, I know places I can't do Eric LaRocca. Like, it's so amazing. Like, there's like, <laughs> like, I like, like, I have, I like, I know my line and like, I, I read their stuff. I watch those movies, but like, I'm just like, this is hard for me. Like, that's, it, I, I can't like it, it, like it, it does the thing that I think they, the, the authors of those books and those films are intending to do, but it yeah, like, it should accomplished. Yeah. Um, but it, it's like, it's such a bad, like, like, you um, don't want to go there. Yeah. But Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I don't know. Like I, I do find a certain poetry with Texas Chainsaw Massacre that maybe that sugar coating, that, that kind of aesthetic, the way that it comes together makes it different. Maybe not, probably not. But like, I, I can do Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And like, that is the, that is, that is as far as I can go. So what was so profoundly upsetting about that scene? The difference with Texas Chainsaw Massacre is that once we get to the dinner party scene, the movie kind of veers away from the kind of hack and slash. And the movie hasn't even really started. Like it's almost like everything has been prelude to the dinner party because the dinner party scene is basically like, this is who we are. This is our family. And we've invited you here to break bread with us. And like, the, like, I think the, just kind of the madness of it all, the insanity of that scene, <clears throat> that, that it just plays out. It, it, that, that scene goes on forever. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, I think uh, you're right. It's, it's another, uh, I guess, tool or uh, technique that Toby Hooper uses in that film. It's just the, the intentional discomfort. Yeah. The, the lingering shots on people just laughing or giggling or uh, Sally screaming. Yeah. Yeah, the fucking uh, Tate just yeah. Was it Tate the the father just you know giggling across the oh table? My God. Her. It's well, yeah. Like it what was. I think that's what it is. It's like the infectious nature of that laughter because like it doesn't. Mm-hmm. It's not like mustache twirling laughter. It's not like no. but it's like I I can't remember who it starts with. It probably starts with the hitchhiker, uh, and then it like spreads, and like mm-hmm. like there's a thought that passes through everyone's mind. And it spreads from one member of the family to the other. And when it gets to dad, he's the kind of like the most maudlin of them all. And he's like, uh, uh, like, like you, you see it build and it is an impure thought. And I read it now as being sexual or codifying it as something kind of perverse because like, he's just like, Oh, I just thought a bad thought. I saw, I thought a naughty thought. And it, it's just going to infect the rest of the family. And now we're all thinking it. And like, as soon as it gets to Sally, like to the, the final girl and she's like, Oh my God, I know what you're all thinking right now. And Holy moly. I like, that's the moment. That's the tipping point. That's where everything just like breaks because like it starts at 11. It doesn't go any lower. Like, it's just like, no, in the moment where they're just like, uh, like it's like like it's not famous and butthead but it is kind of the like no nah, no nah. it yeah it's like uh it's it's like when you meet a person for the first time or you're talking to a stranger and they have that weird awkward laugh and and you laugh too but you have that moment of wait what are you laughing about because yeah. i don't know you and like what is, is your laugh sinister or is it a jolly laugh i i don't know i mean in that scene it's obviously <laughs> it's a little bit more obvious that it's a sinister laugh but yeah, it's it's that uh, that unknown laugh from a stranger yeah. that's just very unsettling. 
Yeah. And they're all in on it. Like it's a, it's a family joke. It's an in joke. And then Sally's like, wait a minute. She gets it in that moment. And like, you watch all of these movies and like, I, I really do think that there's something so honest in the performance of her in that moment where it's just like, you, you think they can't get any worse, but no, like in that moment, they actually get really worse. <laughs> they get really, and it, it, it's because it's depravity. That's what it is. It's the depravity of the moment. And, uh, you know, as a kid, you watch that and you're just like, oh my God, whether cannibal families exist in Texas, I believe that this feeling exists, this emotion exists, and it is traumatizing me in this moment. And I don't, I've, I've explored it and now I want to escape. <laughs> so, uh, if I, again, could summarize, it sounds like what you're saying about the depravity of the moment is, is that it's this realization of what we've done so far is nothing compared to what we're about to do. Yeah. Yeah. You think there's no lines left to cross in that movie. And yet there is, there's one last line and it all starts with those giggles. Ugh. Shivers. Still. <laughs> Did anything in your teen years in real life terrify you? I mean, consequences to life really started to scare me. Mm. The fact that I could hurt somebody that like hurt someone's feelings, break someone's heart. The culpability of myself was always really scary. I, you know, it's a, it's a silly answer, cheese ball answer, forgive me. But like, I, I think that like my place in the world became more evident as a teen where I was in a relationship and I broke someone's heart. And I like the feeling that that, the emotion that that solicited elicited was not good. You know, I saw the hurt. I knew that I was causing the hurt and I didn't like that. Um, it didn't stop me from doing it multiple times, but like it, you know, uh, you learn, yeah. you know, I mean, but no, that makes perfect sense as a teen in the teen years, especially, you know, it's a very social acceptance kind of uh, era and the real life terrors do become acceptance of others. And of course that comes coupled with, uh, you know, am I hurting others or, or uh, responsibility? Yeah. Yeah. Let's see. Was there ever a time in your teens when you felt completely calm or safe or bliss? <laughs> and my mind defaults to love. Like I just think of like being in love for the first time and loving someone else. There were definitely moments where I was like, oh, I think I'm in love with this person. Or I, no, no, this is love. This is love. And it wasn't love. But like knowing, and then like feeling the love of someone, that was a real profound feeling. Mm-hmm. We already touched on other fans of horror and teenage years. So I guess let's jump into adulthood. You had mentioned let's scare Jessica, Jessica to death uh, might be better there. Yeah. Were there any other books or movies or TV shows or experiences that really stand out to you in your adult years? I do remember finding let's scare jessica to death at the hollywood video in my neighborhood here in brooklyn like i moved to to new york we still had a hollywood video and it was there and that movie changed my life um i remember seeing session nine in the movie theater and that was you saw in theaters lucky oh my god it was so i mean like i i i think that's the feeling like going into something 
clean, like, like <laughs> pure maybe, but like that, that feeling of like, I don't know what this is. Cause I don't, I haven't heard the echo chamber yet. Like I haven't like, it, you know, this is like opening day kind of like, I saw that movie. It was at the Angelica movie theater here in New York. God, it was amazing. Um, I remember there was another video store in our neighborhood that had the Tartan DVD, like Tartan extreme DVD collection. So it was like Ringu, uh, you know, like all the kind of J horror K horror, um, that was just coming across the ocean. So like tale of two sisters, Ringu, Uzumaki. God, I saw Uzumaki in the movie theater. That was amazing. Oh, fuck you. <laughs> That's yeah. awesome. Um, that was like, I loved it because it was like, sorry, my jealousy just reached <laughs> fuck you level. That's, that, that happens. I mean, seeing it on the big screen was gorgeous because it was like, wait a minute. Did yeah. I just see something in the corner of the screen? Did that just like spiral? Did it swirl? Mm-hmm. I love that because it was like, you know, you remember when you see Halloween for the first time and it's like how they use the negative space. It's like, where is Michael Myers going to pop up? And in Uzumaki, it's like, where is, where are the spirals? Like they're there. They're everywhere. And like, you need to see it on a big screen so you can kind of like look at the canvas and it, it, yeah. Oh, I love that. Loved it. Uh, You said that uh, let's scare Jessica to death changed your life. How so? Because it's such an unassuming quiet film. And it's definitely not for everybody, but it's, it is a, a vibe and a tone that just really speaks to me. It's so gauzy. It's so ethereal. It entirely exists in the negative space. Like that movie, you know, it's very cheesy. It's very low budget. It like it, the, it's, it's kind of budgetary restraints are definitely like, it has to wear them on its sleeve, but like, if you if you just feel that movie, it's a it's a movie that you feel, and I love that. And um, the way that it uses sound, it has this like layering effect of like a one like the the kind of malevolent presence, the the like the the, the baddie is in the character Jessica's head, and so you're hearing these voiceovers that just like repeat and repeat and cycle so many times that you just get swept up at, into it at a certain point. Okay. You mentioned negative space in relation to this movie. How, how was it using negative space? It, it's just not what you see. Like it, it, it can't be on screen. It has to be in the corner of your eye or in the shadows or like, I think there are certain films that do this really well. And I think, uh, um, Uzumaki, Halloween, Session 9, you know, it's funny because Session 9 and Let's Scare Jessica Death, like, are audio-based. Like, they, like, there's the stuff you're seeing on screen. And I, and I think also Black Christmas, it's amazing because it's like, you're, in essence, watching people listen. And that is not a very active thing on screen. But it's so palp, it's, it's, it's not palpable, but there's, there's like a presence to it. There's something effective in it. And in let's scare Jessica to death. You're basically watching someone trying very hard to discern the difference between what is happening in reality and what is happening in her mind. 
but it's not visual. It's, it's, it, when I say negative space, it's something that's happening kind of on the outside of the frame. And I don't know. I love that. I love it. Having not seen that scared Jessica to death, but having now had this conversation, I think it sounds like what you were saying is that you did mention something going on in Jessica's head. So I'm guessing it's negative space and off screen because it, it isn't just going, what's going on in her head. Well, like, it, the movie itself is so entrenched in the the point of view of Jessica and like she narrates the film and then she starts hearing voices and they could be the voice of this, this other young woman who may or may not be a water vampire. And because we're so entrenched in Jessica's point of view in her, her kind of the prison of her pris- prismatic point of view, she's hearing voices. So we're hearing voices and is it just the voices that she's hearing in her head or are those voices imposed upon her by this, this other supernatural entity? And you never know because she never knows. Again, also having not seen session nine, is that one also a situation where you're not sure of reality? That's a good question. I think that reality imposes itself at a certain point because it tells you it does. Uh, Mm. But like, you're look you're watching the kind of unraveling of an ensemble of asbestos cleaners. One of the people in this group, one of the men in the, this group is like listening to these, these recordings, these audio recordings from this mental institution that they are in that they're like basically cleaning of its asbestos. So like, as they, as these characters start to go crazy, or maybe they're not going crazy, who knows? Yeah this one guy is just listening to these recordings of this one session, this one character who exists off camera. You never see them. Like each recording happens in these sessions. So session one, session two, session three, all the way up to session nine. And session nine is the big gang banger kind of like explosive climactic moment. But so much of that movie is happening through the POV of the main player, which is this, the head of the asbestos cleaning company who is going through his own kind of personal mental breakdown slash trauma slash supernatural, whatever. And uh, it is like, maybe all of these things are happening concurrently kind of separately from one another. Maybe they're all happening because they're like, maybe they're all tethered connected together in some supernatural way. Uh, The movie kind of leads you to make a decision i think by the end but uh um yeah it's a it's a fun one Mm -hmm. love it love it love it was there a time in your adult life when you felt completely calm or safer bliss (laughs) (laughs) no (laughs) sleep counts you don't have to be conscious sleep does count Maybe there's some matrimonial bliss. Like I want to credit my wife for bringing <laughs> love and happiness into my life because she deserves it. She earns it. There you go. But like, no anxiety and like everything just ratchets itself up. Now I'm, it's cranking up to you know, like un, unfathomable levels. Um, <laughs> I'm so screwed. <laughs> <laughs> we all are. Yeah, right. uh, do you remember the last person you hurt? Oh man, probably my kids. These are boring answers, but it's true. <laughs> like, it's like, I like, like, mm. Hey, can I have screen time? No. Oh, like, you know, like, it's like, you know, that counts. Yeah. That counts. Like, 
we, you know, just like every day I hurt my kids. Every day my kids hurt me. We're all just like, we're just like, sub, like, 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 what is it? We're, what do you mean they can't have chocolate cake for breakfast? <laughs> we're gradually, incrementally hurting each other every day, all day. And I'm just messing. I'm just like screwing up my kids you know, because I am who I am and they are mm. going to be who they are. And then they will repeat the process when it's their turn, when it's their time. Yeah. If it makes you feel any better, my, my, uh, take on this is, uh, a tool that I learned from my recovery process, which is mentioned in the book that I, I mentioned earlier. <laughs> I, the title I give it is the blanket was too small because, <laughs> Uh, my memory of this, and it, it was described to me in, a, in other ways, but this is how I relate to it. I had a favorite blanket growing up, but as I grew larger as a child, eventually I got to a point where the blanket would no longer fully cover me. And so at that point, I then had to make a choice. Do I use the blanket to cover my eyes and keep the sun out of my eyes, in which case my feet are cold, or do I you know, use the blanket to keep my feet warm, in which case I've now got the sun in my eyes. And it's like this, you can't have everything. Yeah. And it's kind of like what you're saying about, you know, from one generation to the next, that it's often said that, you know, the best we can do is just teach our kids the best we can to prepare them for the world because you can't control the world. And it's kind of that same situation of, there are probably very few families in the world where the parents know everything and can teach their kids everything. And so there's always this gap of I've done the best I can. And now they're going to just have to figure it out on their own from there. And it's going to, you know, it yeah. maybe it doesn't help as much as uh, I thought what it would when I started that, that, that description, but <laughs> you know, the understanding that this is something that we have all gone through and that we're all probably going to go through is, you know, at least we're not alone in that type yeah. of situation. Um, no, that's true. Doing the best we can. Yeah. We just got to make it right. Just to get to the next day and uh, hopefully not, not damage. Damage the goods the too much. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. Do you remember the last person you helped? Am I going to cop out and say my wife and kids again? Maybe. <laughs> I mean, if it works, it works. Yeah. <laughs> last night here in Brooklyn, we had this huge, huge storm, thunderstorm, and it swept through like two 30 in the morning. And, uh, our youngest son woke up you know, screaming, crying, like really scared of the lightning and the thunder. And, uh, I went into his bedroom and I snuggled up next to him, cuddled him, you know, he fell asleep and I just ended up sleeping in his bed with him for the rest of the night. And that was, mm. I feel like I helped him. Uh, <laughs> I at least got him back to bed. So that is, that is the most recent memory of helping someone literally happened last night. So mm. It's I, I, I am regretting and woeing that I am, I have, this is who I am. And this is what I've become that all my answers are either. I hurt my kids or I help my kids, <laughs> but uh, that is, that is the truth. When the kids are still young, that is often the case. I mean, as they age, then they can start, you know, taking care of themselves more and, and your participation will wane. But at, at this age, it makes complete sense. And I can also say that you probably did help him more than just falling asleep. Uh, stability is an important thing at that age. And knowing that you, you were there helps with uh, things more than just falling asleep. Yeah, I hope so. Yeah. 
Um, next two questions we're going to give you at the same time because it could be the same answer for both or it could be two different answers. Um, but and in your case, being a literary person, we can accept uh, books instead of movies. But I'll ask in the sense of movies and say the two questions would be, what is your favorite movie and what movie have you watched more times than any other? <laughs> well, I'll, I can answer with with movies. OK, well, favorite movie. Well, favorite movie and the movie I've watched the most times. Mm-hmm. <sighs> yeah. Favorite movie is hard, but I'm going to go with my gut and say the answer that that like that came. David Cronenberg's Dead Ringers. Ooh. I need to watch that. Because don't isn't there like a reboot there series is, of it right now? And it is wonderful as well. Okay. It is good. I really enjoyed I loved Dead Ringers, the film. And I was Was it about like cloned uh, surgically altered people to make look like other people. It's, uh, I, I need it's, to watch it. It's actually a lot more kind of pedestrian than that, but that's what makes it so beautiful. It's it's twin gynecologists, identical twin mm. gynecologists, played by sounds like a Cronenberg. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, it's it's funny because like it was the probably the beginning of his mid career push away from direct body horror it was after the fly i think it might have even been god it was probably the movie right after the fly it was the follow-up to the fly but like i think dead ringers is the kind of beginning of that because it was more restrained which is an odd thing to say about a david david cronenberg movie it's more subtle it's not as overt but it's still it's it's i think it's even more profoundly unnerving for all of those reasons because the manifestations of the horror that our bodies manifest aren't necessarily like nightmarish baby children, monsters, or like fly mutants, or, you know, like it's, it's, it's just twin gynecologists played by Jeremy Irons. And it's just so unnerving, so disturbing, so perverse, but it's beautiful. And the movie that I've watched the most, Mm -hmm. Evil Dead 2. Ah. It's got to be Evil Dead 2. I bet a million other people would answer that the same way. And I'm one of them. Like I happily, I embrace the easy answer, but like, it's just so true. Like I have watched that movie so many times, so many times. <laughs> and it brings what me joy. about it. Uh, it's so weird. Maybe this is my, this is the kind of Venn diagram of my brain, but like the madness of it, the utter insanity of that moment where like Ash is getting possessed by these demons. It's like you, he, like there's the moment where I think he's probably already saw. Yeah, he sawed off his hand, and he like the goat, like the demon is in his ear, and it's like, and it's like he's like, I'm gonna shoot over here. I'm gonna shoot over here, and like he thinks he's got it, and he's like, ha 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 ha, and the blood, the flood of blood, kind of comes out at him, drowns him, and then get sucked back into the walls and then like maybe i'm misremembering this but this is my narrative of the moment but like after that all happens he like is like like i'm gonna you know i'm gonna mess with you like you come and get me and he like sits down the chair crashes underneath him and in that moment that moment after he's fallen on his ass the the movie actually shifts there's a pivot in the film where he looks up where it goes full yeah, yeah, it does. and like <laughs> like 
as a kid, you watch that movie for the first time. There's nothing preparing you for that. Like it's too late now. Like any kid watching that movie now has watched the Sam Raimi moment a million times. But like, do you remember the first time you've ever watched a Sam Raimi moment? And like the first moment that Sam Raimi got to do the Sam Raimi moment and that <laughs> moment being in evil dead Two, not evil dead, but like in evil dead Two, he like, he did the moment and it's like, Oh my God, like this <clears throat> exists in the world. And it never did before this moment. Like this is the moment we're all witnessing the birth of a moment on screen. And it is Sam Raimi's and like, yes, it's, warner brothers cartoons and yes it's three stooges and yes it's you know all of these kind of like things kind of uh, boiled into it and baked into it but like but also horror also horror and like the the moment that deer head pivots and <laughs> twists and you hear the, the 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 bones breaking and it like starts laughing at him it's like uh-huh. that's the moment where i realized there's movie magic to be had and it is Sam Raimi. And I just, I just loved it. I just loved it. <laughs> so it was the combination of the horrific and the, the comedy. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And everybody tries to do it. Every try Everybody tries to replicate it. Peter Jackson, Edgar Wright. Like I, like I, I see it in all these other movies, but like the, just the, the sheer madness has never been replicated as much as it is in that one moment. I wanted to go back and ask you about uh, dead ringers for a second. And Mm -hmm. one of the questions that I wanted to ask about that was what was your emotional reaction to that? Uh, Disturbed, unnerved. Um, And maybe this is my pop psychology coming through, but like the movies that affect me more are not the ones that are the most visceral or the ones that kind of like get me in the moment, but the ones that are like, they're almost like bad touch films. Like it actually feels, I feel impure after watching it. Like it felt dirty. I, it, like it just inappropriate in some way that I couldn't quantify after watching it. But that feeling lingers so that like after I'm done, I'm just like, ew. Like it's, it just felt so uncomfortable. And that's me in my agency within the world and like, who am I after watching that movie? Why did I choose to watch that movie? Who am I now? Like, am I going to be the same person? Am I going to like treat people differently? Am I going to like, cause that movie is so intertwined with like bodies and, and, and sex and like, you know, coupling and like, uh, it just, it's just, mm-hmm. it, it's just, it's so profoundly unnerving. You said that you weren't able to, put your fit. You weren't able to put your finger on why you felt that way after that movie, but obviously there's been time since you saw it. And now are you able to put your finger on why, why it disturbed you now? I mean, it just feels so wrong, but I mean, do you know what was wrong about it? No, no. I mean, the the short answer is no, but like if, if the longer answer is this meandering mealy mouth, like attempt at yes, it's like, you have a movie that is about the downward spiral of two people who are in two different bodies, but in essence kind of share one soul and like the, the kind of the, the, the downward spiral of them into their own addiction, their own depravity, their own kind of psychosis, melancholy. It is you're rubbernecking somewhat two characters descent into hell into their deaths their demise and their kind of self-annihilation 
but like the trip that you're watching is so i don't know short answer is no okay well i mean you you, i the phrase you know rubbernecking the downward spiral is is i think a fair phrase (laughs) uh let's see do you have any kind of horror or subgenre that you think, uh, you know, do you, do you have a common thread about what you like? Cannibalism, occult, metaphysical? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I, I, I mean, just through this conversation, I feel like the things I keep saying is that like, there's always that, like that bad touch moment, that disturbing moment where like something like the, the shit hits the fan and it gets like really like ugly, gross, black Christmas, Texas chainsaw massacre dead ringers even to an extent uh why am i jesus why am i blanking i don't know like those films are like you know like it like the movies that like shift into something where it's like the movie in lesser hands the movie could just end now and it would be like oh wow that was a really good movie wow texas chainsaw massacre that was a cool film but then it's like it shifts into something like ugly and like depravity so cannibals maybe not supernatural maybe but like the depraved find me the depraved moments find me the moment where it's like Hmm. oh this has all been prelude to like this and now we sink a level deeper and then that's when the shit gets real and then you have to walk away with that i think the shining does that i think uh the gremlins does it in that moment with the monologue but like it's like in any other situation, in any other director's hands, the movie could just be like skimming on the surface. And then we would have Friday the 13th. Yay. That's a great movie. I love that movie. That's one of my favorite movies. But like it, it, it exists on the surface. But there are those movies that are like, oh, no, we're going to actually like we've been ice skating on the, the like thin ice of this story. And now we actually break. We actually plummet through and it gets worse. And there's something mm. below that's even more terrifying and we have to find our way back up or we're going to drown. I think I see a couple common threads that have been coming up in the call. And this is where I would normally share those with you. And you can correct <laughs> me if I'm right or wrong or yeah. don't agree. Uh, or if there's something additional that you think we're missing, add to it. Um, I see sort of two things really. And touching on what you spoke about most recently about these bad touch moments where things get really gross. So there's been comments, uh, you know, you mentioned the real life responsibility and consequences of hurting somebody's feeling, breaking someone's heart, um, really energies with your stepfather versus, you know, having been raised primarily with, with women. So there are these, this, this balance between male and female energies and sort of morality of what's good and right and what's wrong. Yeah. Which of course is understandable based on your upbringing. And then the other thing that is been a reoccurring theme is the negative space. Uzumaki, let's scare Jessica (laughs) session nine, black Christmas. But you also, and the very first time you mentioned that phrase was about your father. Mm -hmm. So there may be something about the, the void, shall we say? Yeah that is of interest, not necessarily finding an answer because sometimes you can't find an answer, but just acknowledging it maybe. Yeah. Do you think those are good summaries of the important topics that draw you into horror? Or do you think there's more than that, that maybe we haven't covered? I mean, I would 
I, you know, if that's the takeaway, I, I love it. And thank you for letting me use your podcast as a opportunity to be on the couch <laughs> and like <laughs> exorcise my, my mental, emotional neuroses. But yeah, absolutely. I mean, God, it's amazing. I, you know, I'm, I'm almost like doing an internal eye roll where like I start off talking about the, the negative space of my dad and they don't go on. (laughs) This is so obvious. Oh my God. Well, it's only obvious sometimes in hindsight. I mean, like if we, if you hadn't said that from the start, we still could have made the connection. Even if you hadn't said that, I mean, amazing. Oh, geez. I, uh, I mean, yeah. Fathers. Yeah. I, I would totally agree with everything. And, and yeah. to be clear, it's not about the father. It's about the, the negative space, which is the word that you used. You, mm-hmm. and you don't, you can, you, you can, and maybe have been exploring the concept of negative space totally aside from it relating to father figures. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It may just be that that's what introduced the concept, but that doesn't mean that it's the only place that it's relevant. Yeah. I just, yeah, my dad is Michael Myers and he exists in the <laughs> That's an interesting take I didn't expect. <laughs> the one question I didn't feel you answered, did you think there's anything additional to that that we've missed? Um, or do you think that's a good, good enough spot to... I mean, like, you know, to be honest, I'm always so tickled that anyone could kind of make any kind of summation or kind of like this is this is your life kind of Mm. scenario so like for me it's always like oh like i i appreciate that uh so thank you for that um you're welcome i you know maybe the one thing i would say add is just to kind of enhance the kind of like not having the answer and just being (laughs) a work in progress Mm. uh both as a human being and as an author or, and maybe as an audience member, because we're always like looking, right? Like, I don't know. I have no answers. So yeah. No problem. I mean, those are all, those are all things that make sense. There are a few more questions here though, that we can go through. And the next one being why horror though, because if these are things that are important uh, facets of the things that interest you, aren't there other genres that you could explore these things in particularly? I mean, it's kind of interesting because in your case, it is even more relevant than maybe some of the other guests that we've had, because for example, these balance between male and female energies and and realities is definitely something that's, that's covered in, in multiple genres. And the concept of negative space also could be covered in many different genres, different ways. So what is it about horror that connects these things for you? I mean, it's funny, like, I honestly, I, you know, it's a, such a simple answer, but I, you know, horror found me first. Um, yeah. I, you know, if it hadn't been for that babysitter putting in Halloween, if it hadn't mm. been for watching that one show on the, you know, the late night creature feature, like, I, you know, it is, I just saw it. I was exposed to it at an age where it affected me in a deep way a profound way and i kept coming back for more of it so had my babysitter put on on golden pond or steel magnolias i probably wouldn't be on this podcast fair 
Although, I mean, you could also say that chances are this babysitter sat for you more than once and probably did put on multiple <laughs> movies. <laughs> so, I'm just wondering, would the podcast then be drama makes me happy? <laughs> Rom-coms I'm sure make you me could, happy. You, okay. you could make that podcast. It won't be ours, but you could, somebody could make that. <laughs> no, I mean, horror got to me first. That's, that is echoing something that I've said in the past that it does seem to be that way. Not, and it's funny, not only for horror, but for me, for example, the analogy that I have used has been music. You know, yeah. as I get older, there are certain songs that, you know, they don't connect in the same way that certain songs from my past do. And I've said, Chris used the phrase, the seats taken. I said, you know, there's, different there's only a certain range of emotions that we all feel and at a certain point in our lives we are introduced to some song that we go holy shit that's that feeling like more than any other song i've ever heard it it aligns with this feeling and then the seat's been taken and now you hear any other song that touches on that feeling and you're like yeah but i've got this one you know yeah and so it is not uh impossible i think for that kind of same thing to relate in terms of genre interests maybe it's something that's kind of innate in you before you're exposed to it but but i do i think like it has something to do with youth it has to do with who you are it's just like the perfect storm it's just the nexus of certain things the intersection of certain things but yeah i i ultimately i think it's something you don't control it doesn't it's not something you choose as much as it chooses you that's my two cents yeah. I mean, the one thing that we talked about early on that didn't come back in the conversation was the, um, the soft trauma or the desire for, you know, seeking out self-inflicted wounds. I mean, there could be something there that we didn't get into, um, that maybe is more horror might speak to that better than some other genres. Yeah. The question I always get for non horror people is like, why do you, why do you watch horror movies like why would why do you want to do that to yourself i get it from my family all the time like why, why don't you why don't you write something happy or why don't you watch something happy and <laughs> you know like there's that defensive like oh i want to want like this is this is what i respond to this is you know but like if you ask yourself that question like well, why am i watching what is it why do i keep going back to this and i do think there is something to be said about the I, I don't know. It speaks to you and the catharsis of it. Like I, like the soft trauma, like to re- return to the soft trauma, to re-experience the soft trauma, like you're doing it at, in order to either achieve a level of catharsis. It's almost like you have to go down in order to climb back up to like right. elevate. And you can't just have the elevation without going down first. So closure. Yeah. Just release, and I, but I, I I don't want to also discredit or take away from the the enjoyment factor that like I love hopping on a roller coaster and you know reaching like that that kind of like precipice of death feeling and like you know that's fun. Oh, being glad that the ride's over doesn't mean that you didn't enjoy the ride. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's a good way yeah. to it. You can it's enjoy so both. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to think of some analogy like horror is like a good scotch. It tastes like shit at first, but then it <laughs> burns you with a, a feeling in your stomach that's also burns. It's also awful, <laughs> but but intriguing. So you keep doing it. Now nah, that's that doesn't work. <laughs> <laughs>
last question. Is there anything that you've thought of that might be relevant that hasn't come up on the call or maybe, uh, you know, conversate you thought of something and then the conversation took a left turn. I mean, I had no idea where this was going to go. So I feel like it, it is <laughs> good. It's amazing going in blind. Yeah. Well, and I, I think the thing that I want to say is thank you for oh, humoring me. <laughs> I don't know. It's an interesting conversation and an illuminating one for me. Mm. So I appreciate it. And um, for me, I always feel like it's, it's, it's silly and I apologize, but like that idea of like using podcast interviews as, as therapy, but it is how often do you get an opportunity to talk about yourself for this long? Oh my God. I don't, I pity the person who's listening to this. Um, and I, (laughs) I apologize that, uh, I've been this selfish, but I, you know, it's funny is like, I have often joked that part of the reason that I went into seeking professional help is because you can only have so many of these conversations with your friends before they either get sick of it, that, or you can only have so many of these conversations that don't involve alcohol. And at some yeah. point it's bad for your liver. Yeah. I never get tired of talking to you, Steven. I never feel like I have to have alcohol to, uh, to grease the wheels. Never. Not once. <laughs> he says as he takes a sip. <laughs> but that's none of my business. Right. <laughs> Sips tea. Well, thank you very much for your time. We had a pleasure talking to you. Oh, um, thank you. Know, hit, hit a closer here. And thank you to anybody else out there listening. Uh, please do come visit us at horrormakesushappy.com. We've got links there to Patreon, merch, you can buy us coffee, a uh, list of guests, bio pages, which we will have one for Mr. McLeod there as well. Um, or just tell a friend. 